0: Uh, the people who are uh, actually, um, who join. So thanks for joining um, this webinar. Uh, just wanna make sure to uh, start on time. Uh, this webinar that uh, today is all about um, the sanitary challenges in plastic stewardship. Um, uh, in, that in times when we need to navigate conflicting uh, objectives of um, preserving lives and people and boosting circularity at the same time. Um, And as a way to explore those topics, I want to uh, just spend one minute uh, to walk through uh, some of the online meeting instructions which are important for everyone to make the most of this time. Uh, First, you registered and you are free to uh, use your name or whatever nickname you want, but I guess better for everyone to know who you are. Um, By the way, particularly through LinkedIn, you can have access to the full list of uh, people who uh, registered. and to take part in this, uh, in this meeting. So that's probably a, a good way for each of you to know who are the other participants of this uh, webinar. Uh, you are by default in mute mode. Um, this is a way to ensure and maximize the quality of um, the discussion. Uh, we don't need your camera, uh, so we keep it off. It's a way to maintain the bandwidth and minimize your carbon footprint attending this event. And of course, if you find this uh, discussion interesting, you are very welcome to invite other participants, um, either through LinkedIn, or uh, through, um, y- through, through uh, the functions uh, provided in uh, Zoom. If you want to walk through social media uh, and share uh, some uh, comments about this event, you can feel free. And if you tag at we make sure that everyone has a what to use Uh, to keep track with the discussion uh, that is underway. And uh, the last comment is basically that uh, at some point during the discussion, we will uh, activate a poll. It's a very short poll, three questions. It takes uh, maximum 20 seconds. And um, that's helpful uh, for us uh, to improve as necessary and um, connect um, together on specific issues if you find it interesting. So let's move on uh for the discussion that we have today um it's a brief introduction about what we are um and why we are leading this discussion on circularity and sanitary challenges at sapa.org and uh we'll move to uh, a few information to provide some context around the issue and then uh, that's the core of the discussion will make the most of the valuable uh, interveners. we have um, sharing their views and their expertise with us um, and uh, Namely, uh, we'll have uh, David Croft, Aya Weawo, and uh, Mario Huerta. So very brief introduction. XAPA.org is funded as an organization to address what we call the decade of turbulence. A few months ago, we would have uh, called the decade, uh, decade of delivery uh, as we are in this uh, uh, huge sanitary uh, global crisis. Um, It is fair to say that uh, we can talk about a decade of turbulence. In the middle of that decade of turbulence, we know that we have uh, to manage conflicting objectives. Um, Sanitary crisis generates, um, at the same time, recession that might call for uh, savings. And at the same time, we know that the global goals are calling for investment in climate, in circularity, in people. Um, So we've created Xapadotoga as an organization to help particularly businesses and investors to innovate uh, accelerate and contribute to global goals the best they can we do that through three activities of consulting uh, to identify the priority areas where we can accelerate and innovate we have a a pillar of investment when we federate investors to uh, accelerate funds enabling shift. And we advocate, typically, this kind of webinar is an excellent opportunity for us to share what we know, uh, get a chance for people to talk and share their expertise, and enable other organizations to move faster on those complex issues of sustainability. We operate with uh, a team uh, that is headquartered in Paris and with a network across the globe of uh, 150 plus experts, as well as um, uh, additional uh, uh partnerships and uh, uh, strategic organizations working with us typically when we work on circularity and agriculture we involve agronomists uh, when we work on circularity and data we work with data scientists that's just uh, random examples of the kind of network the idea for us is to ensure that there is good combination of expertise to provide very uh, uh, targeted support as part of our advocacy programs we lead uh the production of, of reports which can be funded by grants and foundations um, you have some administrative uh, blog articles you can access uh, on open source manual on uh, the publication section of uh, xapa.org and we produce regular webinars today we're talking about secularity and sanitary challenges and later in the month there will be another webinar uh, uh, engaging conversation on the upcoming uh, european union initiative on um, uh, due diligence and human rights for 2021 uh, where there is there are actually already 150 plus uh, registered participants, so you're welcome to, to, to join as well. Um, so let's uh, focus a little bit on the circularity and the context. Um, at the end of the day, uh, the way we think we can uh, engage that conversation on circularity and the sanitary challenges is, is very simple. We think that the discussion of course is complex and we released at the beginning of the year a report called towards 2030 where we identified six priority areas for the decade including secularity so we strongly believe as much as a large broad community of all the people attending this call for example that secularity is very very important and needed Uh, however because it's challenging um, it is not making the progress that are needed Um, at the end of the day challenge we have today in the middle of uh, the, um, the sanitary crisis is, uh, in simple terms, the fact that we have conflicting objectives. Um, on the one hand, uh, the sanitary dilemma are exacerbating the challenges of circularity, uh, simply because the single-use uh, solution can be a good solution to protect health of people. And at the same time, we know that uh, we need to bolster circularity so how to do that at least in the middle what we know from a pure economic perspective I'm talking about that just with a client yesterday on the, in the, and the, the hotel segment um, now they need to use disposable uh, uh, elements for bedrooms and uh, that implies that uh, staff need to work twice longer which is a big cost for the company so they don't really know how to manage that but it's a very practical and concrete example of how they they know that they're in a conflicting situation to adapt uh, hotel management to uh, sanitary challenges and at the same time they know that it's at a cost that they cannot afford uh, on the long range. Um, so clearly uh, there is uh, something here uh, that uh, has to be uh, managed in a very smart manner. And in response to that, of course, businesses and uh, 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 investors are have to manage with controversies and are under strong pressure. Uh, and we just shared here a few examples. And at the end of the day, we believe at Sapado that the only one way forward is basically to maintain a clear direction and to, to identify the right way, to, of course, demonstrate agility and adapt to the sanitary challenges, and at the same time, build trust, over time, being credible with commitment to travel in Maine and maintain the direction of the time uh, to deliver on the decade on circularity as much as on other topics. So um, that implies also when this is um, what's outlined here, that um, for businesses and investors, sanitary challenges on circularity brings even more complexity. And here you have the example of the conflicting regulations that you can find between uh, what's going on mostly in Europe and in the U.S., where on the one hand, um, there is the ban for single-use plastics that is in the way, and on the end, uh, there are examples where, at the end of the day, uh, some regulations are uh, diminishing in impact. Um, so, when you look at that from a business perspective, that shows poor stability in terms of a regulatory framework to define and make decisions according to security. There is no other solution than make the business case and maintain a credible trajectory we believe. And this is the last uh, section which we wanted to share in introduction. Um, those questions of circularity, as we believe, are going to gain in importance for the years to come because they're moving or shifting from a perspective of acceptability from an environmental standpoint to an acceptability and even legal issues uh, that are growing in importance from not only an environmental standpoint, but also a human rights standpoint. Um, uh, we can see, and that'll be part of the discussion of the webinar that will be uh, um, led uh, on the 13th of, of, um, of June. Um, that uh, the discussions and the way of the European Union, for example, include uh, human rights um, scope of vigilance uh, that expand to some environmental issues, and it's likely that circularity and some of the implications of some pollutions will be part of that. So, There we go, Uh, and in response to those complex issues, at least at SAPA we're promoting actively three things that uh, will close this introduction. First, we encourage businesses and investors to choose the right battles. We know that the questions of single use, of plastics and of secularities are extremely complex. So we believe that at the end of the day, there there are issues, part of the sanitary challenges which explain why some single-use solutions might make sense, but some others do not. So in that sense, it's all about choosing the right battle and uh, being strong on those to explain, educate stakeholders, but at the same time, demonstrate capacity to innovate and substitute on others. Uh, So for those kinds of activities, we do lead stakeholder engagement activities, for example, to really identify and clarify that. Second aspect is the investment in innovative models, and innovative solutions. We do promote solutions uh, driven by digital, Solutions and um, uh, innovative financial solutions. There are, of course, plenty of other ways to innovate. And at the end of the day, our point is just to look forward uh, in a way where we can approach the concepts of secularity with different modes than what has been done to date. Learn from what's been successful, what's been a seller. But at the end of the day, demonstrate to stakeholders that there are ways to accelerate, increase the impact through innovation. That's at the end of the day what we believe can be trusted. So, we design ourselves some impact investment uh, structuration structuration in that sense, accelerating impact investors to accelerate the way companies and companies and suppliers can invest in circularity systems. And last, um, there is this question of collaboration. We know that those topics are complex and require shared ownership, uh, shared contributions. So a question we have and where we work is basically how to ensure that collaborative initiatives can strategize their activities together and be more to the point to focus resources where collaborative work can really have a meaningful impact between what we can observe today in 2020 and what is needed, let's say in 2025, 2030. So I will just close on those elements uh, for those introductory elements and uh, make sure that we keep uh, 25 minutes for uh, the group discussion with our uh, uh, panelists. I need here to introduce to um, uh, our three panelists who have um, accepted to join and take part in this uh, interesting uh, conversation. Maria Utters, who is VP Sustainability and Corporate Responsibility at Dexel, and I would like uh, Maria uh, to take uh, um, a minute and uh, share, introduce to um, Sodexo for everyone to know.
1: Thank you. Do you hear me properly?
0: Yes. Very good. Very good.
1: Thank you. So hello to everyone and thank you for, for having me on the agenda. Um, so my name is Maria Uters, and yes I do work for Sodexo at group level in charge of the uh, agenda on corporate and social responsibility to ensure we continue to be a leader in sustainability. Um, I took this role five months ago only, <laughs> in January 2020, and believe me, the beginning has been quite hectic in this pandemic. Um, but after 13 years with Sodexo in different roles, in HR, in strategy, and in marketing before, and I would say that it's one of the traits of Sodexo is to encourage people to grow within the organization in different roles. A few words about Sodexo as we start. um, You probably know or maybe you know a little bit of Sodexo, quite a large international company. I'll use 2019 figures because uh, again the 2020 would be different figures but we used to be a 22 billion euros revenue company serving mostly v2b clients that uh, range from hospitals, corporations, schools, universities, senior homes Uh, and we do different types of service. A big chunk of our service is revenues in food service, about 60%, and we cater close to 100 million consumers every day. We also do facilities management in which cleaning, energy or waste support to our clients are our main activities. A few things about Sodexo that I think you should know as we start this conversation. First is that Sodexo was born in 1966, so 50 plus year, And we were already born with a mission. Um, Since our birth, it's written in our DNA, we have the ambition of impacting in a positive way the communities and the environment in which we operate. And believe me, back then in 1966, we were totally a pioneer in this uh, formulation of a a mission for the company. Since uh, 2008, we have formalized our sustainability roadmap. We call it the better tomorrow, making a better tomorrow for everyone. It's our roadmap on sustainability and it encapsulates all our objectives and commitments. Uh, maybe, Farid, you can help me with a, one slide um, to just uh, maybe show better uh, what I'm referring to. Thank you very much. Um, so think about this matrix with three columns and three lines. Uh, on the horizontal axis, we like to remember every type of impact we can have, first at the very granular level, above. Individuals, second, about communities, and third, about the planet and the environment. And on the horizontal lines, you'll see that we have three roles. First, as an employer, and we have about 450,000 employees, half a million. So it's a first priority for Sodexo. We're a people company. Second, it's about uh, being a service provider, catering to 35,000 clients or so, and 100 million consumers. So very important to establish everything and our commitments as a service provider. And third, as a corporate citizen, as we operate in 60 countries or so, and so those three times, uh, three makes nine commitments, and all those commitments have very clear targets for the 2025 horizon. And so maybe I'll just check on share with just a few, with all of you, the next slide, saying that Sodexo, and I like very much what you say, Farid, we have chosen our battles and we have made a few clear environmental commitments, like reducing food waste by 50%, reducing carbon emissions by 34%, in line with a 1.5 degree trajectory and transitioning to 100% green energies for our, all our premises, all that for 2025. And we're measuring and reporting all this with audited figures. So we'll come into more details about those commitments in general, about waste, plastic, food waste, and so on. But I hope this gives you a little bit of a vision of uh, what Sodexo is doing and, and where are our big challenges and issues. Thank you,
0: Farid. Thank you very much. Let me introduce to David Croft as well, who can introduce uh, himself as much as Rekit Kizer.
2: Thanks, Fareed, and good afternoon, everybody. So, I'm David Croft, I look after sustainability for Rekit Benckiser, RB. Um, RB, you may not have heard of Rekit Kizer too much, but I'm pretty certain you'll have heard of some of our brands that exist and, and are sold in about 190 countries around the world. And um, in Western Europe, um, often you'll see brands like Detol or Lice, uh, or Sillit, Bang, or Mortine, Finish, um, Strepsils, Nurofen, um, Durex, Skull, a whole range of global brands that are bought by around about 20 million consumers a day around the world. Um, RB, in its earliest guise, has been around for just around 200 years. Uh, We began as a small company in the northeast of the UK, um, out of the um, era of the philanthropists of the time, um, aligned to people like uh, the Cadby Brothers, Terry Brothers of York, uh, the Lever Brothers, who went on to set up Unilever, of course, uh, and a host of others um, that were operating in that time. And then merging with Benkiza, We became this global business that um, that I've just been describing, but those values at the heart of that business set up by James Reckett uh, way back in about 1820 still hold true today, and and they they fit to the purpose that we describe ourselves uh, describe for ourselves in our new business strategy much more clearly, and that that purpose is really about to protect, heal, and nurture in what we describe as the relentless pursuit of a cleaner, healthier world. And whether that's about climate change, plastics, or um, hygiene products and health products, it's all about trying to make access to the the best quality hygiene, wellness, and nutrition and nourishment. Um, An absolute right for everybody, not just a privilege for some. Uh, And that's what it's all about. Our new business approach our strategy going forward and and led by a, a new CEO who joined us just last year and as uh, we've been really energizing a, a lot of activity around our brands on on this agenda now whether we're going to talk we're going to talk more about plastics today and, and this whole circular economy conversation that's certainly part of it with what we've been doing um, over a number of years and we do have a number a lot of plastic packaging so this is Um, something that's very close to our hearts about how we make that um, better for the future, better for the long term, better for the planet, uh, and yet still maintain the accessibility uh, for those 20 million consumers around the world. Um, But it's also part of what we're thinking about in in a much broader sustainability agenda, whether that's around climate change. And only the other the week, we confirmed our commitment to delivering um, our part of maintaining global warming to less than 1.5 degrees by 2030, which for us in the short term by 2030 is a 65% absolute carbon reduction, 100% renewable electricity, um, and then progressively towards a, an ambition of carbon neutral by 2040. Uh, and you may have seen um, a partnership uh, announced today with Amazon, one of our biggest customers globally, um, where we're working with them on their climate pledge to help that come to pass as well. And what we see going forward is the need for much of the sustainability conversation to be, to be driven, as Fareed was saying, about collaboration. Uh, and it's something we'll talk more about as we go through this session, I'm sure. But we certainly see collaboration throughout the value chain, upstream with suppliers, raw material producers, but also downstream. And considering, if you like, a circularity model about um, how we join up through collaborations to create a, a, a more uh, an approach that is more delivering on circularity than is often the case these days. But without getting into the nitty-gritty what we're going to talk about for the next 35 minutes, I'll hand back to Farid.
0: Thank you very much for this introduction. Um, I want also Aya uh, to introduce yourself as much as Torinzo, because then people in the, taking part in this webinar will also get a, a flavor of them chain that is part of that conversation talking about potential collaboration so i find it interesting hey
3: thank you so much for it um, and yes so this is a here to uh, sitting sitting in my home office here in helsinki and um as you alluded um so i represent a company called stura enso and um and and yeah i'm i'm fully aware that not very many people probably know stura Enso very well because we are a bit of an invisible company even though that we're one of the, the Kind of largest um, uh, packaging material and, and packaging companies in the world. So, we are basically um, a 10 billion um, uh, euro company uh, operating in, in Europe, Asia, um, Middle East, um, you know, uh, Africa, as as well as um, Latin America. And uh, and basically, um, what we do is we manufacture. Different type of bioproducts. Traditionally, we used to do a lot of pulp, but uh, nowadays uh, we derive different types of chemicals, even even medical medical products out of um, out of out of trees. Uh, we produce packaging materials, other forest products, and maybe the curiosity item um, about the, the company is that um, I, I recognize that the other companies are also very mature companies, but we're actually the the oldest existing corporation in the world or the, the oldest limited liability company because we were founded in, in 1288 in Sweden. So we've merged uh, from a Swedish company called uh, Stora Copperberg, which is uh, the world's first uh, copper copper, company. Um, copper mine, but also an actual company. And uh, then Enzo uh, Goodside, which was a Finnish company. And uh, as said, so we do anything, uh, anything that you can from, from a tree, and that's our motto as well. So what, what we say is that everything that is made of fossil materials today can be made of trees tomorrow. And I think that kind of sets the agenda for us. Uh, we're also a major forest owner, one of the largest in Europe. So, so the that, that kind of responsibly managed trees and forests, uh, they are the, the, the kind of foundation of, of what we do. We have an extremely strong uh, sustainability agenda, uh, which, which is, you know, of course, we we're part of the solution to to climate change. That's how we see. But also, when it comes to circularity, we, of course, uh, as a as the, the bio-based uh, materials company, we have the ecological um, circularity in terms of which is the renewability, how how raw materials they they grow back, and then we have the product technical um, circularity, which we. Indoors and work and and as materials for our products we use both uh, fresh fibers as well as recycled fibers so so we we kind of bring that together and myself um i am uh, the divisional head um, uh, of sustainability so i i represent the material uh, the packaging materials division of um of store so Which is a four billion uh, business and whereby we do different kind of consumer packaging materials as well as container boards and we have another division which uh, which also does corrugated uh, board and and form fiber so we basically do as a company anything anything that you can do in terms of fiber-based packaging as well as uh, wood packaging and and so we offer primary secondary and tertiary uh, packaging um, opportunities and and of course in this context the discussion about plastics and and alternatives um and 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 all that is of course very interesting so looking forward to to fruitful discussions today
0: excellent thanks so um yeah so moving on uh, let's explore point number 1 um battles that need to be chosen either Uh, I'd say, because I think it's very important for that discussion to be nuanced, areas where there are good reasons to believe that um, uh, plastics are to be accepted and needed. uh, could be uh, one battle uh, that you find really important uh, to push forward, and or um, I can also explore um, uh, the alternative approach to see areas where you've come to the conclusion that at the end of the day, uh, a, a, alternative uh, solutions are needed, uh, notably to uh, manage basically that, to solve that equation between, I would say, sanitary challenges, circularity needs, and at the same time, uh, making the case from a business perspective, uh, because at some point, uh, um, I gave this example from uh, those auto chains exploring substitutes simply because uh, single-use, just as a cost which does not meet with the way they can operate to manage the hotels. That's a very concrete example where that's actually why they're exploring alternative solutions more than the circularity program at the end of the day. So, um, Maria, maybe you want to give some thoughts around that. Uh, You started to um, um, briefly introduce to food waste. Maybe is that where you want to start from? Yes, thank you, Fahid.
1: absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it connects with Sodexo very much. The, the notion of circularity, um, we've been taking it. And, and again, I alluded to a few of our targets uh, to measure and to reduce food waste being the big one. Uh, But of course, we have also made a few commitments on eliminating all the other organic waste to landfill and have no recyclables to landfill by 2025. And that's where I'll come to to the topic of of plastics and and other materials. So just before talking about plastic, I really want to take just one minute to share with you our number one priority in terms of circularity, which is preventing food loss. I don't know if all of you know, but uh, it's a fact today, that about 30% of all the food production in the world, and it occurs all along the value chain now, from the farms, the fields, the distribution chain, the kitchens, and last in the consumer plate, 30% is lost. So it means that it's 1.3 billion tons of food that is wasted every year, and it could feed 3 billion people a year. So, I think that's what we've taken as a moral scandal and the real opportunity for us uh, to set a target of reducing the 50% of our average annual 117,000 tons of food that are wasted every year within Sodexo for many good and bad reasons. We want to tackle and address this, and you can do it by setting a target, deploying measurement tools on the sites, and educating our teams. And our consumers towards that. So I really could not <laughs> keep this message about food waste and and the opportunity that, that we have here. Coming now to all the the other materials that are involved in our, our type of services. Um, we we have of course, and and we have in our cafeterias, and um, and I hope some of you have uh, been. Uh, served by, by a Sodexo team and with a good experience, but we have the, the plastic bottles, the aluminum cans, we have um, uh, cutleries, we have many things that exist, we call the disposables, that are either uh, from Sodexo or that come from our suppliers that will be on a site. The first thing that we have always said before COVID or after COVID, it's prevention. Uh, and we can do a lot in terms of educating. Uh, if I start from food, of course, if we adapt better in the portion sizing, it's one very good way of uh, reducing at the end the waste. But for all the rest, it's really about adopting first a buy request only for bags, for cutlery. Uh, when we acquired, for example, Food Cherry, a food delivery company in France, uh, one of the first things we've made was to change the cutlery to make it only on demand. And that's already by first reducing the usage and the need upfront, promoting bulk condiments or bulk buffets with yogurts or salads, um, and to avoid all the small plastic containers is one way of really first doing prevention. So I think it's one of the very first objectives. And we started way before COVID to be working on plastic-free sites, uh, plastic-free dining locations, Uh, And we can push those efforts through the collaboration of some of our clients um, like Unilever, Telefonica, or uh, public accounts like the Comité des Régions in Brussels, where uh, the client and us have agreed to go for uh, 100% free plastic sites and to eliminate plastics, aluminium, even cardboard cups and so on. so today, today Sodexo has eliminated a few things. So there was the bad plastic, as you mentioned, Farid, and so for plastic straws, for stirrers in your coffee, uh, for plastic bags to take away your food, all that is gone, um, and we're not gonna go backwards. Then there is a few places where um, it's true that for very clear sanitary reasons, and uh, we'll see the surge of much more uh, plastic uh, boxes or paper card boxes with plastic uh, tops um, and plastic sealing on a lot of the food where the consumers now have a fear. Uh, and, uh, and while we don't have enough knowledge from COVID about where's the transmission, where's the virus and so on, we will accept and we will know that we have to accept again plastic. We're not gonna replace the the old plastic bottles uh, that have been replaced with uh, water fountains. There's no need to go backwards on this, but on a few places we acknowledge that plastic is gonna have a little bit of a surge and we need to accept this. I will take probably a very controversial um, word on this, I would say that uh, we. Ki- I will not be able, and within Sodexo, we know that we will accept for sanitary good reasons, some plastic to come back. But I see it as well as an opportunity for pushing on another battle. Uh, I cannot offset all the harm that we will be doing again to oceans and to the planet uh, by pulling all this plastic into the water. But we can do things like first pushing another battle that has a very good impact on the environment and climate, which is uh, pushing for more plant-based diets and less meat. And the carbon emissions that we get from significantly reducing meat uh, is not offset at all by the surge of plastic. And of course, we need to work on all the recycling with the collection of plastic. And we've been pulling together policies for all our countries, but it really depends on legislation and even just the sites themselves uh, depending on the client if it's a hospital or a school uh, how's the configuration of the place how can we improve um, collection uh, of the plastic that will uh, be happening so, uh, maybe a long answer, but to say some of it uh, we have eliminated, we don't go backwards, some of it we'll have to accept it, and we can work, of course, uh, and we'll discuss more about that, about how to replace this with less harmful materials, um, still how to be productive, but I will say we'll also push for another battle that has also a very good impact on planet, which is more plant-based versus less meat-based diets. I hope it's not too controversial. I'm not giving up on plastic, but I really wanted to say also this message because there is a, a logic of offsetting and trading off here, the impacts.
0: There are trade-offs and it's all connected. So it's, it's all connected at the end of the day. Just curious, moving to David, uh, to explore also as part of the, the battles that you've uh, selected, Maria the concept of uh, making solutions accepted and affordable for consumers. Because when David introduced um, himself and his work, he mentioned that, that aspect, which I believe is actually also important, uh, especially if we say that we're in the middle of a crisis, at the end of the day, affordability remains also something important, building solutions. So David battled.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks, Farid. I mean, listen, um, I, I think we, you know, we can talk about this in the context of, of total material use, we can focus on on the stuff that is you know, always front of mind when we talk about circular economy in terms of product design and packaging design, especially. Um, I think you know, I, I think there's a real sense that we we need to think more broadly than just the packaging. But I know we're going to focus a little bit on that today because that's where some of those points about affordability and particularly in the case of you know some of the products we deal with in in terms of the the health side of the business. Um, The necessity for product integrity um, and and consumer confidence um, around product integrity is is absolutely critical. And plastic is a good material for that. That doesn't mean to say it can't improve. We can't design things better and we can't use um, more recycled materials um, to to help drive towards that circularity perspective. But it is beyond packaging as well because we're looking at things like raw material input uh, in terms of recycling feedstocks that we can use for ingredients in products both chemical ingredients as well as also the sort of more natural um, ingredients that we use for example from natural materials like latex or dairy and things like that so we have to think about everything fitting together in that context of circularity and I do think um, you know just at the outset I think it's really difficult for many businesses that were set up based upon a linear economy model to now redefine how they work. And that's why um, I started this conversation with the point about um, collaboration, to help use that collaboration to see how you can fill in the remaining arcs um, of the circle to talk to circularity, because I think it's going to be challenging. It is challenging for one organisation to do that on its own. It doesn't mean to say that you can't enable it, through how we design products how we use ingredients how we use materials how we connect with consumers how we understand consumer use of products um, and how they will then be used and disposed of to uh, work towards that model of circularity Um, but i think we have to work in collaboration with others to do that if i think specifically about uh, packaging however you know i think there are five five facts that we've really borne in mind as we as we look at um, how we leverage a higher level of activity and ambition towards the circular economy associated with packaging. I think first and foremost business as usual is not acceptable it's going to be worse than we thought in the future uh, in terms of the scale of plastic production doubling um, over the next 20 years or so leading to significantly perhaps three times as higher plastic flow to oceans and that plastic stock in the oceans quadruple um, massive implications for ecosystems communities and businesses and as a result i think we've all got to up our ambition level about how we design products how we select materials how we consider what happens before we process those materials and after they leave us and are used and then disposed of to help contribute towards closing the arc of the circle. And if we don't, then very clearly regulatory changes are going to drive um, significant changes in policy environment that we'll be exposed to. Um, We're seeing this all over the world, you guys are just as aware of it as I am, but more than 90 EPR policies on plastic packaging, for example, um, that we're tackling and when as you do, as RB does, you work in 190 com- countries around the world, you get to see these things very quickly. And also, I think fundamentally, we can't just recycle our way out of this problem. Um, whilst we can design um, and use more recycled material and enable that design for recycling, recycling on its own will not solve the issue. And that's why I think we've also got to look at how we create much more innovative design. Um, and to your point, Farid, Where we do that is going to be determined by the nature of the product, the nature of the use, the nature of the channel to the consumer even, and how we can rethink some of those issues to take um, plastic, as the example, out of the mix. And so now we've got four real themes around how we do this. Um, First and foremost, how do we get plastic free? How do we substitute alternatives and that might be alternative materials it might be completely different designs um then there's clearly an opportunity for less plastic and that's just efficiency Um, and that is also around product efficiency and design to optimize pack size to consumer use or consumer dose um the more optimal we can make that ratio the better in terms of the material use that goes into packaging And then we optimize the material itself. I think there's a massive opportunity in uh, what we call the reuse revolution, where we enable through refills, through concentrates, through different approaches to reaching consumer, um, uh, reuse of a primary packaging that can go on and on and on. And for those of you of my age, you know that's what we always used to do. I remember going into supermarkets as a child and you filled up your, your pot of coffee beans until now. We're used to buying it in one, hop, in, in one fell swoop and ground and everything. Um, I think those days will return. They won't return at scale because we have a different model from an economy point of view, but they will return to a degree. And enabling consumers to reuse in different ways um, will be part of that equation. And then last but by no means least, we've got to use better materials, better plastics, obviously, and that's where we can look at different. Um, adoption of um, PCR but also just bioplastics and different ways forward and to your point about picking battles for it, it's about for me it's about picking the product mix and the market mix to create access to the optimal design the optimal packaging material in the optimal um, ratios if you like of packaging to product for the the consumer, for the marketplace that they're in. And that will vary in different parts of the world. And it will also vary depending on what can be recycled. We've got to be realistic that whilst certain materials in theory can be recycled, we know in practice they're not recycled in many parts of the world. Um, And we need to be realistic about what we can do and how we do that. And so that's where we pick the battles of where to work differently as well. Um, but we'll talk more about collaboration and recycling opportunities. I think in the, in the not too distant. So, Reed, back to you, and I'll, and I'll uh, let you carry on.
0: Yes, we will just in a few minutes. And um, just uh, building on your point points and moving to A, uh, I'm uh, curious to get the perspective of Aya. We oh, basically sit uh, pretty upstream in the chain, so has um, a good sense on a lot of um, at that stage. Can um, be the right battles where there can really be some uh, interesting areas for substitutions
3: yeah actually actually building building upon with on on what, what david was just saying uh and anne-marie uh, as well i think um i think what we have you know we can of course i can i can speak a lot about you know providing our our sort of industry providing alternatives to to fossil materials and and circular bioeconomy as a as a solution to the world's problems but I think, especially, especially what what David was describing just a moment ago. I mean, we're talking about a, a battle, which is ultimately it is about a systems change, which derives from from the fact that we we consume in a in a in a way which is not not exactly sustainable. And, and packaging, of course, uh, is is often seen as a as a nasty beast um, because of littering and and leakage to the ocean and and all that and and whatever material that is. Uh, it is just that that we have this this kind of a with this over consumption we also also experience a lot of this over over packaging and uh, and maybe maybe if there is a battle uh, battle to 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 choose it it really is to to look at this holistically and and uh, and of course you know uh, we need to reduce we need to reuse um, and and we need to replace so when it comes to plastics um, I think you know I'm not going to be the one judging that plastic is 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 all bad because I think plastic plays a role and it's it's actually a fantastic material in in certain applications. And what we really need to think through is is you know for packaging there is a role that it plays. It is to protect the goods which which are in there. And coming back to this um, topic of, um, of of the COVID-19, I think this is where we've uh, again remembered that packaging actually plays this this role. So it has. It creates societal value because it protects us from from getting those those germs and and from those illnesses and the diarrheas of of, of uh, which are which are plaguing you know in, in in the developing world. So so this is why we have packaging and and this is why we didn't you know like in the old days when we didn't have packaging or we used just um, you know certain containers for instance to buy milk fresh and and all that we we would we would uh, often often have stomach ache. So I think. One thing that that i 've already seen and and you know whether whether it is about bio based packaging or whatever but what what these past months have shown is is that you know there may be a lot of regulatory initiatives around uh, where, where, which is basically to 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 really kill certain types of packaging uh, for instance in in food service, and now we 've seen that this this type of packaging actually uh, has created a lot of value during during this uh, uh, this situation where you need hy- hygienic products and 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 you really can't can't in, in whether it is ab- about hospitals or or even even um, in well any public places you you need this this type of um, tools and I, and I think it's a good reminder that uh, a you know we need a systems change overall to to look at the big picture that that is needed but then then in terms of packaging it it we also need to remember why we have packaging and uh and and you know it's not only about the the hygiene it is about and and the protecting the goods it's it's also about the reducing the food waste and and contributing to to the you know um doing its role in in um in in the climate debate as well so I think I think it's um, it's good to bring the debate back and and also see that packaging is not all bad and neither is uh, plastic packaging uh, in particular. It serves a role as well and and um, and and yeah, let's let's be let's be real out there that what what are the things that we need and and how to improve the situation and and just reduce the, the unwanted impacts of of packaging and and plastics.
0: Yeah, just. Uh... Building on the, what you just shared, i'm just curious moving on point number two about innovative models. If you would share one uh, illustrative area where you think uh, there could be some interesting innovation um, for the years to come, it could be technology, it could be man- in terms of management, it could be in terms of policy making whatever that would be interesting yep.
3: very good so i 'll combine two maybe uh, because uh, you may not know this about my background, but before I, was, uh, I became a sustainability expert, I used to be a stockbroker. <laughs> so, so actually my entry point to sustainability is through ESG uh, analysis. And I, and I think if there is one big uh, thing which is happening today and which I think will play a key role in, in uh, redefining sustainability and, and, and the future in terms of climate and, and circular models and, and all that, I mean, that is sustainable finance. And if I may give credit to a, a very surprising uh, party in this discussion, it is the, the European Commission and what they are doing in terms of pushing sustainable finance forward and creating, you know, putting not only in the uh, kind of recovery package and 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 in this frame, but um, but overall uh, bringing bringing it as a, as a tool for for change and 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 as a prerequisite for for investment in you know. Reducing fossil fossil um, energy and, and it, fossil based energies and, and and all that, so I think this is really the biggest innovation that we see and and the biggest driver that for for sustainability that we we today should have not only the the kind of the, the financial sector driving driving uh, ESG but the fact that the public sector is is embedding that into in, into the way of working and, and its role in in recovery I, I think that that would be my my kind of um award-winning uh solution for the future
0: hmm. interesting uh as uh Shapai built with a very very strong background in finance very traditional finance i would say but that's clearly because that's one way forward we strongly believe in uh to accelerate uh solutions uh, and moving to maria uh then i think that would be interesting to get also your perspective on um on Something, one thing innovative you think can be a game changer for the years to come.
1: I'll bounce back on what uh, yeah, you just said. Uh, thank you very much. And I need to double check if Sodexo and Stora and so are working on packaging. Uh, thank you so much for remembering us that first we need to understand why packaging is important and very often it increases uh, food life and. Um, and so it's important. Um, I would also agree on the fact that uh, for me, finance, I would have said somehow the first initial idea to your question, parid was also about uh, the green finance. Um, and Sodexo last year was, uh, to my surprise, I didn't know, I didn't work on that, but was a pioneer last year when we renewed a 1.3 billion uh, revolving credit facility with a few banks and, and BNP leading it, but to have a pricing adjustment that was linked to Sodexo's performance towards the goal of preventing uh, the 50% food waste. And I think it was a great kicker and a good uh, way for us to to share Uh, the the importance of this battle, the visibility of the battle uh, to ourselves, to our teams, because it's a little bit of hard work um, to implement those kinds of solutions. Sometimes there is a cost. Yes, you need to implement a balance. You need to, um, uh, to every day collect data and, uh, and define action plans and so on. But there was this kind of financial kicker, um, which I think it's, um, it's a very good way of uh, fostering uh, innovative models. Um, I think uh, I think David spoke a little bit about that. I see an arena where it is so important to uh, uh, work on the education of our consumers uh, on uh, some of the choices. Why take the plastic bottle if you can take from the fountain into your your own cup and so on and i haven't seen much yet fostering this kind of um, Uh, opportunity for consumers to feel that they have uh, their say, their opportunity, uh, and that laziness sometimes and other things shouldn't come into the way. So I would look forward to something that really uh, allows uh, consumers, and we do it sometimes, for example, on recycling when we promote bento boxes for people to reuse uh, their little boxes and so on. And it's still so slow to pick up. So I think there we have contradiction and some education to do to consumers. And I would love to find some um, innovations around here about how to change behaviors and how to accelerate um, the opportunity to work together with
0: the consumers. Hmm. There is not only innovation in that space, but there is also a collaboration did <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> which makes a good bridge to the point number three and uh, to. Uh, maybe a perspective from David related a few times about the importance of collaboration moving forward.
2: Yes, I mean, I think, I think i, th- I think actually some of those innovations you've just heard about also talk to collaboration as well. So I think um, it's interesting, one of, with, with another hat I wear, I um, input from the private sector's perspective to the OECD at their development agenda around the SDGs. And there's a lot of discussion there, um, to the point about sustainable finance, green finance and and creative initiatives around it. Um, And I think um, whilst they are good, I think there still needs to be a better development of collaboration on the setup of those and the design of those. Um, If I was being perhaps a little bit controversial, they may be more in the favour of the finance providers than they are in the people who are borrowing, even though they, they may give a slightly preferential rate. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I, I like to sort of put a bit of controversy into the conversation, say they could be better than they are with collaboration to, to a sort of an end game. I think we also see a lot of collaboration coming through in terms of the value chain, uh, be that sort of upstream in terms of how. Um, how we can work differently with material providers uh, and indeed material recyclers. I'm particularly excited at the moment about um, the growth um, to scale of chemical and uh, to a lesser degree enzymic recycling systems. Um, and so collaboration with um, the developers of new recycled um, materials, I think is critical. Um, And at the same time, collaboration with the collection networks um, from consumers through the collection work into that uh, recycling stream, I think, is also important. Because at that point, we're starting to um, join up the remaining arc of the circle in that circularity discussion around packaging. Um, And so, you know, creating relationships with consumers to encourage them to recycle um, not just through building awareness, but maybe incentivizing that through scanning of QR codes, for example. And there's a, there's a great app that helps people to, um, to do that by rewarding recycling. Um, cr- creating collaboration with um, collection points, particularly in developing economies, where sometimes that is a very informal sector, to get clean waste streams that make... Um, make recycling simpler, more effective, um, and to bring those materials for recycling to the likes of those new chemicals, recyclers at scale, and so we can close the loop more effectively around it. But in doing so, I think it's also beholden us upon us as users of that material to commit to buy from those new recycling networks. I was fortunate to start some work in a previous company in sub-Saharan Africa around this, And we were looking with a number of other um, global multinational companies that like Nestle, Unilever, uh, Mondelez, amongst others, um, to establish new setups for recycling of plastic in sub-Saharan Africa and seven or eight countries. And what was critical was the support for the market that then came out of it. So collaboration works at a range of level, both direct as well as indirect in terms of commitment to the market um, to help promote that circularity um, that then comes through. And I think if we can do that, then there is greater opportunity um, to, to actually bridge that, the, the missing arc of the circle that is there. Um, and that's, that's the sort of work, I think, that uh, as we go forward, companies who are more involved in that will get rewards from it because it simplifies the supply um, and demand. And uh, you know, if I think back to that Africa situation, at one point it was cheaper to ship virgin plastic to Africa than it was to buy recycled plastic there and that makes no sense in the long term and so we need to try and collaborate to change that sort of dynamic in order to make it a scalable and fairly rapidly scalable solution and that will only happen if companies um, are prepared to support the development of those markets and at the same time to close what is a fairly circular point the finance providers are also prepared to work in that way. All right, back to you.
0: No, very, very insightful. We are running to the, the far end, unfortunately, of this, um, of this webinar. I just need to flag that there is a poll and everyone is uh, welcome to contribute and share views. It takes uh, 10 seconds, really. Uh, that should be displayed on your screen. Um, and just uh, moving on, if you, Uh, need to share uh, any question that you have there are some contact details that are uh, displayed on the screen as we speak um, the session is uh, recorded that was one of the questions which came to us and uh, just uh, wanted to to thank you all panelists for your contribution and maybe just share then a closing word about something that uh, was um, that you've Discovered today in discussion with other panelists and or uh, one takeaway that you think is part of what um, you will want to uh, exp- to explore more uh, going forward, so maybe starting with Zaya
3: thanks uh, for it. I, I was I was kind of like when when David was finishing off, I was thinking of saying hallelujah because it it just sounded like like a true invitation for collaboration and and I think that is really. That is that is really like if we if we live with one one message it is that this is all we're all all in together and and it's a bit like uh, all for one and one for all as the musketeers said that so so we're three three here on the call and and looking forward to collaboration uh, post the, <laughs> post the the call but more more you know across the the across the value chain of course but uh, but also um, across the, the countries and whoever are on the. Other calls as well, I think this collaboration is, is a good good final word for, for an invitation for everybody.
0: Maria, including Wood, something <clears throat> you want to share?
1: No, very uh, very selfishly, I would say that I'd love to just check more about Stora and so, and uh, I learned some, yeah, Thank you very much for that. And to just double check how much are we exploring from... Um, Uh, from the wood products uh, so i'd love to discover more this so that's a takeaway for me from this uh, discussion and uh thank you as well david for for sharing this notion that i never thought about uh, uh, of creating the relationship with the consumers and i insisted so much on uh, on the uh, presence of the consumers of subex on our site but but creating some mechanisms of rewarding them uh, with maybe collection points and so on. As you say, digital is here. We've done a lot. We have apps to tell them about the menu. Uh, we're always thinking about, um, should we educate them about the number of calories? Maybe one day about the carbon emissions of their dish. But should we think about involving them in circularity and collection? I love the idea. Uh, so I'm going to give some work and some ideas for the teams internally. Thank you very much, Farid for that.
0: Excellent. Happy for us to be a connector in this regard and uh, for this to be inspiring. David, then luckily you have the closing word and uh, that actually also is uh, partly because you're on the western part of that conversation uh, in terms of time zones. So you're still in the middle of your day compared to a at least. So you can get the closing word.
2: Well, it means everybody else is going to get to the uh, the virtual bar or the virtual restaurant for dinner before I do. So I'm um, slightly envious. Um, I, I think years ago when I was doing a lot of work on quality systems, one thing I learned was that things break down at the interface between one department and the next, or between a supplier and a customer. And you know, I think the same is going to be true um, in the circular economy conversation. So. What we've heard today is I think three um, experiences from three people at different points in that value chain. And I think if the opportunity is there to really look at what individually we receive from the person we buy from, and how we pass something on to our customer or the consumer, and try and make certain that we manage that interface so that we know that what we pass on can be readily recycled and contribute another arc in the circle that will deliver that circularity in the long term then I think we are we'll place ourselves in a better position and partly that's about collaboration and partly it's about understanding the point in that circle that we all occupy and how we can act to make certain that the circle is closed by others further down the line.
0: Thank you very much, Um, so now it's time to close the conversation Um, to thank you all Uh, and uh, if you have any question we shared the the details as I mentioned earlier through LinkedIn particularly you can make sure to connect with each other uh, in terms of uh, participants as uh, you see uh, interest and fit. Thanks for the um, participation, the webinar which will be recorded, uploaded, there will be a blog that will be produced out of that as well. Um, and I wish you all an excellent uh, evening as much as a day for those joining us, uh, particularly from the US. So, thank you very much and have a great rest of the day or evening. Bye, thank
2: everyone. Bye. Bye.
3: Bye. Thanks, it. Thank you.